Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Welcome back to Foster and Motley's podcast about life and wealth. This is actually part two of a discussion about preparing financially for retirement. I'm Patrice Sikora, and with me are Foster and Motley's Luke Hale and Rachel Rasmussen. Luke is a financial planner. Rachel is an investment manager. And we're going to pick up with what you should know about contributions to retirement accounts and distributions from those accounts. Luke, you get the first crack at this. Looks like there are lots of ways to contribute to a retirement plan. Tell me. Yeah, I think it's important that we think of people's uh, use of a retirement plan in two phases. There's the put the money in, and then there's the take the money out. So in the put the money in, the contribution phase, there's many things that we get questions about. We get questions about how much can we do. We get questions about my employer matches. What does that mean? How should I go about uh, making sure I get that? Is that really even important? And then later on, we get questions about how do I take the money out? And we'll (laughs) talk about kind of smart ways to take the money out and things that you need to think about. And you have to actually think about how you're going to take the money out when you're putting the money in. We want the money in the right places to give you the most flexibility uh, to take the money out in a smart way when that time comes. So in the contribution phase, the the most common kind of plan that we run into and we help our clients with is the 401k. Mm-hmm. A 401k is a retirement plan for for-profit corporations. Uh, the not-for-profit community has an equivalent plan called a 403b So your hospitals and things like that will have a 403B, but it works just like the 401k. So they're essentially the same thing. And in those plans, you get to put money in. And how much can you put in? Uh, If we really have somebody that's motivated to save, and we love that because that means they'll be better prepared for opportunities later on. Um, If you are under 50, you can put in up to $19,500 per year into a 401k. And if you're over 50, the government gives you another $6,500 called a catch-up. I guess they figured you waited too long and now you're trying to catch up, but they'll give you a catch-up, which boosts your total contribution to up to $26,000. So that's a pretty meaningful contribution that you can stuff in and you can get that tax deduction right right off your income so it doesn't get taxed when it goes in, which is wonderful. And then anything that you make on it, uh, the gains, the interest, dividends, those are all tax deferred. You don't pay anything until you take the money out. So we think that that's step one in uh, most people's financial plan is let's try to put a bunch of money in the 401k and let's load that up. Let's take advantage of those tax uh, benefits. Talk about employer match for just a second. We talked about that a little bit in our last podcast. 
So uh, for anybody that'd like to learn more about that, maybe they can go back and revisit that one. But most employers will match your contribution at some percentage up to 5% of your contribution. Some of the really generous employers match it up to 10%. I've seen some universities that have a you know, your first 10%, they'll put some kind of match against uh, your money that you put in. So when we think about matches, I want our listeners to think about free money. You know, if I put in, in if I put in a dollar and my employer puts in a dollar, I just made a hundred percent rate of return on my contribution. We can't do that in investments with any regularity. I wish we could do that, but that is maybe the best investment you'll ever make is putting those dollars in to collect the company match. So figure out what your company match is and at a minimum, put in enough of your paycheck to get the company match. Now, you do have to, in many cases, wait to have that vested, correct? Yeah, sometimes the company match portion is often tied to a vesting schedule. The money that you put in is always, you're always able to get that back. If you leave your job, you can roll it to an IRA or take the money out. We wouldn't advise taking the money out, but you can. But that's always your money. But let's talk about what a vesting schedule is. A vesting schedule is a way for the employer to try to keep you around a little longer. So essentially they say, you can have the company match or you can have the profit sharing contribution, but you have to hang around for three years. And then after three years, hey, it's yours. So some uh, employers, the most common one we see is probably a three-year cliff vesting. And and that means that you stay for three years, then you get all the, the matching contributions that have been made or profit sharing contributions in that first three years of your employment and forever after. Uh, There are some less common types of vesting schedules that maybe stretch that out to five years, maybe make the vesting schedule contingent on each year's profit sharing, but those are more uncommon. Mm -hmm. So um, especially in today's market where I think employers value their employees more than they used to because good employees are hard to find. They're trying to keep them around. They're not trying to run them off. So the three-year vesting schedule or immediate vesting uh, in many cases is what we see in our on our employer plans of our clients. All right. Now you talked about 401k, 403b, your usual IRAs. What about the Roth accounts we hear about? What makes them different? Roths are special. They are, you don't get a tax deduction when you contribute, but here's the magic of the Roth. Once you put the money in and it grows, you get to take the money out later tax-free. So no tax deduction up front, tax-free later. So it's a little bit of a um, delayed gratification concept. Mm -hmm. You know, the the tax deduction is is a benefit that you're actually giving up now in order to maybe get something better later. But it can create, if it's invested properly uh, and you're thoughtful about your contributions, it can create a really nice stream of tax-free income uh, later on. 
And we just don't have many of those available to us within the tax code. The government always likes their taxes. Um, <laughs> that's how they, you know, that they're running, they're kind of running a business. The Roth is actually something that, that uh, is, is a really good individual investor move. Because if I put in $6,000 into my IRA and it grows to, I make a great investment in, you name the company, Zoom Video, and now my six thousand is worth fifty thousand. Well, you know what? The government's never going to get their taxes on the gain that I made uh, in that stock, and I get to keep it. So when I want my fifty later, I just I just withdraw it, and that will could very much help me when I need money to to one supply the money I need for my spending, but two to develop my spending plan in a way that's very tax conscious and I won't pay very many taxes. Rachel, you look like you've got something to say. Uh, I'm just thinking about the investments that go into all these uh, plans, 401k, Roth, taxable accounts. You know, it's, it's important to get all of the benefits that you can get on the match and the before tax contribution. But beyond that, being mindful about the types of investments that you put into these accounts can really add up to better after-tax returns. So just I think we touched a little bit about this last time, but certain investments are a little bit more tax efficient with the, ter- the current code. So dividends, for example, those are taxed at a lower rate than your wages. So let's say you have a stock, you know, P&G or Walmart or whatever, they pay a dividend to their investor that comes in as cash to the account. Well, those dividends, you have to pay tax on them if they are in a taxable account, but it's at a lower rate. Contrast that with an investment like a publicly traded uh, real estate investment, a REIT. Well, those are more ordinary income, so they're taxed at a higher rate. So by positioning certain investments in one account versus another, you can improve your after-tax returns. It's really cool. Um, And something we like to be pretty mindful about as we invest client portfolios. What makes sense in each of these accounts uh, for the client? And some of it depends on age and risk tolerance and and many, many factors. But um, I find that fascinating. And, And beyond that, you know, we often get told, oh, my Roth account's great, my taxable account, not so much, or my IRA's better. And the thought is, it's because that it's a taxable account or an IRA account. It's, it's more about what are the investments that are in that account that are driving those returns. So let's say you have more stock in an account or more bonds. Well, in a great stock market, the stock, mar- stock heavy funds are going to do better. In a bad stock market, the account with the bonds is going to do better. At the end of the day, it's all your money. So we like to think about all of these factors when coming up with what investments should be in what account and also what's driving the returns. So Rachel, tell me about bonds. You mentioned investments, stocks and whatnot, and dividends, but what about bonds? Where should they be? 
that's that's a great point, Patrice, because bonds are in a lot of portfolios, a lot of accounts. Bonds provide or have at least historically provided income to um, investors. So rather than we're going to grow this bond, um, it's going to just provide you a stream of cash flow in the form of interest. So that interest can take on a less efficient tax treatment, so taxed at higher rates. So for some folks, it makes sense to shelter those bonds that have that taxable interest in a tax-deferred account like a 401k or like an IRA or a 403b. So on the flip side, there are also bond investments that are tax-free. So it's important to think about what are your options in the bond universe. In a taxable account, if you're going to hold some bonds, maybe municipal bonds that are tax-free to you should be going in those sorts of accounts. Just another tax consideration as we think about what makes sense for investors. And I just want to make a quick jump backward too. We're talking about employer 401k, 403b, whatever's what about the auto enrolling in these programs? How important is that? I think it's very important. And I think that's a recent development that, uh, that has been very positive. A lot of times in the past, we'd sign up for a 401k account when we joined a job. And um, those people that weren't versed in investing thought, okay, good. I'm signed up. So I see some of my paycheck going in there. Everything must be okay. But actually there's a step two. There's a there's there's actually two parts to that. One, there's an auto enroll where you the employer assumes now that the default is you want to be a participant in the 401k. Okay. And in the past, the default has been that you don't want to be a participant. Right. So you had to opt in. So now we've got some auto enrollment going on that get people in and they actually have to take a, it's a simple step. If you don't want to, if you don't want to play, you don't have to play, but if you do want to participate, it's automatic. If you don't, then you have to take a simple step to back out and keep your, you know, what would be your automatic 401k contribution. So that's been a very positive step because that's gotten people moving automatically where they've given a chance to keep more of their paycheck. Sometimes they think I'll just save in the future. I won't do that right now. That's something I'm going to take care of a little bit later. And a little bit later is always a little bit later and it never comes. And then you wake up and you're a certain age and you don't have enough money. So the auto enroll to just get you in is really important. And the second part of the auto enroll that's starting to happen is it auto it automatically invests in something. So another problem 401k has had with, okay, I'm in it. I think my money's doing something. And in fact, it's going into cash and it's not doing anything at all. You actually had to take a second step to pick your investments. And people aren't equipped to do that by and large. Uh, they're not trained to do that. Uh, they feel uncomfortable around investments. Mm -hmm. They end up asking their brother-in-law what they should do. <laughs> you know, it's just, it doesn't end up well. So the government and co corporations realize that. And now more and more investors, when they auto enroll, are going into an a automatic 
portfolio that's appropriate for their age. Uh, somebody with a typical tolerance for risk, and it's like the retire 2035 portfolio or retire 2050 portfolio, whatever your age is, plus you know a number that gets to, to 60 or 65 is usually where they come up with that, that number in their title. And within that fund, it's a collection of other funds that will be you know, part stock, part bonds, like Rachel mentioned, part international stock, part real estate. So it's like an all-in-one deal. And um, that's really helpful for somebody that doesn't know anything about investments. They get right in, they start making money, hopefully right away, if the markets are behaving. They almost always have a better experience uh, as an investor, as a saver towards retirement than if that didn't automatically happen for them. Yeah, and I mean, even beyond these funds, they a lot of times they're called target date funds. So in the background, those funds are being rebalanced to handle risk. So as Luke said, hey, these these funds are twenty thirty five fund or twenty forty five, and underlying those funds, you may have more or less stock depending on how aggressive those particular um, target date funds. Are You can also go and choose your own investments and say, I think I should have this much in the way of stocks or bonds or real estate or inflation-protected securities, et cetera, and set those allocations. Uh, we help clients do that. Um, go in and try to figure out what is the appropriate asset allocation for that account, also based on what is available. So as Luke said, the options available, first target day fund, beyond that, there are many, many options, but looking at what choices you have and making sure that you have the right mix for you is, is also important. And then after you have several months of, of good returns, you might notice, oh, well, I thought I only had 60% stock in here. Now I have 70. Well, if you're not paying attention to those things and rebalancing the account, you could be taking more risk than you really think you are. So um, that's something to pay attention to. Great stuff. We're wrapping up the contribution part of the discussion here now. Is there something you haven't mentioned that you really think we should? I think there's two things. In special circumstances, we like to, to find opportunities for clients. So one opportunity is something called the two-step Roth. So uh, some people have Roth availability in their 401k. Most people don't. That's still a little uncommon. Roth contributions directly are limited by the amount of income that you make. Many people, two partners, will make more than the contribution limit. It's around 200000 a little bit less. Uh, it phases in. It's a little more complicated than just saying a number. But if you're above that, there's still a way to stick money in a Roth IRA. It's called a, a two-step or a, a backdoor Roth. So I think these are fun. Anything with a backdoor to it, I'm attracted to because that means maybe not everybody can get in. So you, you have to have a certain fact set. You can't have a traditional IRA. So all your money would pretty much have to be in your 401k plan. But then there's a way to make a contribution into a non-deductible IRA and then immediately convert it to a Roth. So for whatever reason, and it feels like a loophole that should have been closed, but it hasn't been, and it's well known and it's been well known for 10 years, 
they allow this. So this allows people with a higher income to participate in the Roth. We think it's a really neat opportunity. So husband and wife partners could contribute uh, up to $12,000 a year, you know, $6,000 per person for under 50, um, $7,000 per person for over 50 for that. So you start stacking that money up pretty soon. You've got a nice amount of money in a tax-free investment account that you really shouldn't be able to do, but because uh, you work with smart people that know about this kind of thing, you can do it. And then the other thing is uh, sometimes we work with physicians in particular that work with uh, universities. So they'll have a physician practice that's connected uh, to a university and actually get to do more saving than usual. So these are people that are beyond uh, uh, meeting the maximum contribution limits. They want to know where can I put money in a smart way? I've got more than I need. And they can do something called a uh, 457 deferred compensation plan. That's a government-oriented deferred compensation plan, which has the same limits as a 401k plan. We said over 50, that'd be $26,000 a year. And you get to do a 401k or 403b often in their case. So you get to stack those up on top of each other. And that's a big deal. It's a little bit uncommon to see the right fact set that has those two things that are available. But when we do, we can really uh, do some nice savings work uh, with those clients. And one other thing that's important to note, you know, we talked about vesting schedules and how the employer can keep some of the money that they've contributed to your plan should you choose to leave before your money is fully invested. What you have put in is always yours. That is not subject to vesting. So as you think about putting in quite a bit of money, whether it's a 401k, 403b, the money, the dollars that you put in are not subject to vesting. That will always be yours. So you can take it if you choose to leave that employer. All right. We've talked about money going in. Tell me about money coming out. Can you just say, hey, I want my money now? Almost. It's always your money. So uh, now it's time to start going back uh, the other way with it, bringing it back into your bank account. And so you can spend it and do fun things that you've saved up for. So that's I think the key overarching strategy uh, in this that I'd like for people to consider is you have different tax rules associated with different account types. 401k is a different set than your taxable brokerage account or your savings account at the bank. So when if you say, I need $100,000 to live in retirement, we can piece that together. So maybe we get 35,000 out of the savings account at the bank and we get another 20,000 out of uh, a Roth IRA and then the balance out of a 401k. Maybe that works best for you and allows you to keep the wealth that you've worked so hard to accumulate. It lowers the tax burden by creating this recipe uh, that ultimately forms up your your new retirement paycheck. And the way that works is, you know, we take a little bit out of a Roth, a little bit out of your 
maybe your brokerage account, a little bit out of your 401k or IRA. And then we would put all those together and send them to your bank account. And every month you'd have $12,000 a month show up if that's what you told us that you needed to be comfortable to live. And uh, you would know that that was happening in a very tax efficient way. And so it's, it's important to know that you don't just turn to the 401k and start getting your money out when you retire. It's really more artful than that. You need to be thoughtful about the way your income is composed. And if you are thoughtful, you will end up with more money at the end of the day. And even taking that a step um, further, because I love what Luke's talking about here, is your living needs. So if you look at how much you need to come out of all of these accounts, if you look at what you're spending it on, and a portion of that is either gifting to family or gifting to charity, it's really an advantage to you to be mindful about what your opportunities are to maximize those gifts. And I know we talked about this on a previous podcast, but looking at your various retirement buckets, if you have a $10,000 gift, you can really take full advantage of the code by perhaps giving that money direct from your IRA through what's called a qualified charitable distribution, QCD. Or you could give appreciated stock. I know we've talked about this a little bit as well. So in your taxable account, you look at a very nice uh, stock investment or another type of investment that has done well over the years, you can just gift it outright. So rather than saying, hey, I need all of this in cash for my paycheck, well, maybe some of it can be done in securities or from a specific account. So that's where you can turn to a financial planner and say, this is what I'm looking to spend the money on. What's the best way to do this? And, and one way that uh, what Rachel mentioned family gifts, the best way to give to your family, to your kids is always in cash. Give them cash. Uh, don't give them the stock that went up. Don't, don't get cute. Give them cash. Because if you give them a stock that's gone up in value, they inherit your tax liability on that gain. So when they sell it, they have to sell it and pay the gain on what you would have paid. Um, so just give them cash. If you want to give them a gift, they'll get more a more full benefit from a cash gift than other types of gifts. If you just want to play around with them, give them the stock and see if they're going to do it. I was going to say, maybe they want to pass on that tax liability, Luke. Double whammy, <laughs> win-win, giving and avoiding the tax. Who knows? <laughs> and if they're smart, they'll just say thank you. Right. Very good. Right. <laughs> now, you mentioned defined contributions, and let's look at defined benefits too. What are the different types of retirement plans? And defined contribution plans are the 401k, 403b deferred compensation plans that we've all that we've spent some time talking about. Defined benefit, we typically those are what's referred to as our traditional pension plans. Uh, those are becoming um, more dinosaur-like. Dinosaur yeah. yeah, they are becoming extinct. Uh, the the places that they still are healthy are are within our uh, governmental. Um, employee plans. So our teachers, uh, our civil servants, uh, our firefighters, our policemen, all those people still have uh, pension plans that 
most of them are fairly stable and they can count on them being there. There's lots of talk out in the community now about underfunded pension plans, uh, which means that the governmental entity probably has not put enough money aside to to make the promises or keep the promises that they made. But uh, when our clients do have a defined benefit or pension plan, it's really nice. It's just, it's, it's almost luxurious now because to just get a check every month deposited into your bank account, not have to worry about what the stock market did. It didn't, you know, you don't care if it went up, it went down, you know, you got $3,000 this month. That's just really nice. That's a, that's a kind of a peace of mind that more people used to have and not many people have as much these days. So, so for our friends that get pension plans, uh, good for you. There is a critical decision that these folks need to make when they start them. And it's usually a once in a lifetime, can't alter it decision. It's a big deal. And they really ought to get some advice around this but it's on the survivor benefit. So sometimes they'll say, okay, we'll give you 3000 a month, a month, Patrice. But if you want your spouse to receive something, if you die, then we'll give you a little less. So if you want, let's say a, we'll give you $3,000 a month. If it, you just take it for your life, but if you want to cover your spouse, then maybe it's $2,800 a month. And then we'll give your spouse $1,500 a month, half of what your original benefit would have been for their whole lifetime. So essentially that pension benefit has to pay off over two lifetimes versus one. So the first person that actually qualifies for the pension has to take less in order to secure the financial future of that other party. So there's all different variations of that, but the common theme is you get to keep it all if you just want it for your lifetime, but if you want it to help somebody else, then you'll take progressively less. And that choice is a once in a lifetime choice. Once it's made, it's done. So you need some professional help when you make that choice. And some of the better plans even offer a cost of living adjustment. So take a look at that as well. Does your defined benefit plan adjust as inflation goes up? That's a really nice rider that could be um, on some of these plans. Beyond that, some plans allow you to take a lump sum when you retire. So you say, hey, I don't want to wait around to get my $3,000 a month or you know, I don't like my, my odds. I want to just get the money right now. You, a lot of plans will allow you to do that. Roll out the present value equivalent of all of those future cash flows and take that in hand right now. So that's another consideration to be made. So um, that requires a little bit more complicated analysis to determine what's right for you, but just to know that you have more than one choice when it comes to these plans oftentimes. What about more specialized state and local plans, these 457s, what are they like? They really are a little bit specialized and it'll differ a little bit from area to area, but, but typically that is, it, it operates like a 401k plan. So you can roll those over to an IRA. Usually those are for saving uh, additional money, usually above and beyond what a 403b uh, through the governmental entity would allow. So those are important, 
those are not as common, but those uh, we should definitely take a look very carefully at each one of those plans and see what your options are, because some of those do differ from plan to plan. And then if you're a small business owner, what, what options do you have? A lot of times you can set up your own plan. You know, it's really nice to have so many options at your fingertips. You can look and say, okay, what's right for me based on the size of the business, how many employees you have. Maybe you're the one setting up the 401k. Perhaps you say, well, I'm a sole proprietor. I'm going to do my own thing. And you can set up your own defined benefit plan. Let's say you have a lot of stable income coming and it's highly predictable. Well, you could hire an actuary. You can come up with your own calculations. It gets a little bit more complicated to administer, but the benefit is you get to save a lot more than these contribution limits that we've talked about before, which are all around you know $20,000. I mean, I know that Luke even had few clients that he set up some of these plans um, and it worked out really nicely. Yeah, they were able to save more than $100,000 a year into these things tax deferred. So again, you're if you make 300,000 and you put in 100,000 to the government, it looks like you only made 200,000. So that's only, you know, that's your tax base. So we're able to save taxes or defer taxes on that $100,000 that was contributed to the plan. And those are neat tools when you have the right fact set. And as Rachel said, the right fact set is you have stable income, maybe usually it's a smaller business, uh, maybe less than 15 people. And then it matters what people work there and their ages are and things like that. So uh, you can, we can work with a skilled administrator on something like that. And as long as we present our clients as, Hey, it appears that they have the right fact set. Can you tailor a plan to their needs? Then a skilled um, administrator can say, yes, okay, this works. This is how we're going to do it. As long as we can be confident that they're going to be able to make hundred thousand dollar contributions for the next five years, then this works. Um, and it's a it's a way to really save some some meaningful dollars in a really short period of time. All right. I'm going to ask again, as I did with the contributions, is there something about distributions we haven't talked about yet that you think should be mentioned? We've got a, so much information here in so limited time. Before you start, have a plan. Know how you're going to do it. That's where we can come in. And how can people reach you? You can reach us on the web, www.fosterandmotley.com, or you can give us a call at 513-561-6640. All right. Luke and Rachel can help you create that plan, folks. Listen to them. Get your retirement planning advice here, Foster and Motley. For more on this and other financial information you may find useful, make sure you subscribe or follow Foster and Motley's podcast about life and wealth. Share, please comment, and let us know any questions you may have. I'm Patrice Sakura, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster and Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.